Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, and welcome to The Definitive Rap. I am Bela Sebraff. Thank you to Vin News for hosting our show. With us today is The Definitive Rap's Israeli correspondent, Barry Shaw, from Israel International Public Diplomacy. He's actually the Israeli uh, International Public Diplomacy Director at the Israel Institute for Strategic Studies. Barry regularly contributes to various media outlets, including the Jerusalem Post, and is a frequent speaker at conferences and pro-Israel advocacy events. Barry Shaw has been a staunch defender of Israel in the public diplomacy arena for decades and has initiated the creation of several pro-Israel grassroots groups. As always, Barry gives a full account of details not heard anywhere else. Mainstream media does not necessarily cover everything, and Barry will be fascinating our viewers and listeners today. Barry, welcome to the Definitive Wrap. Nice to see you again. Thank you. We have a lot of news to cover today. Uh, let's start with how the Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hamas have spread their influence throughout the territory governed by the Palestinian Authority and President Biden's two-street solution on 1967 lines and the security issues it will potentially pose. Bila, I want to start off by saying I have never experienced so much demand for information or, dare I say, praise for all my work to deliver information, truth and facts about Israel, uh, that I did during the recent operations that we had against the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, both the arrest in the Palestinian Authority-controlled towns and areas and the war against their rockets uh, from Gaza. Uh, I was getting information from uh, friends, uh, contacts, uh, people I don't know who were messaging me that the information I was giving them, and I was giving them in real-time information as things were unfolding, that they never got this information from the media over there in America. Nobody, it seems, was receiving any information or detail from their mainstream media over there. Um, I guess... That was true for you also in, yeah. in the South. How many of your listeners know that there were 1,100 rockets fired at us in four days? And this is from Hamas. This is from what some people consider to be a minor Palestinian terror organization, Islamic Jihad. In fact, the first time this war got media attention was only when reports were coming out of Gaza that a rocket had killed children that's right. and your that's, media covered it. Am I correct with that? That's correct. That's the only thing that hit the news. Absolutely. That's all we heard on mainstream media. And immediately it was as if it was gospel truth, right? Then they yep. started to get busy. It was like what they were waiting for. This was uh, like when MSNBC and CNN came into full-blown pro-Palestinian propaganda mode. Right to pounce on Israel on a gotcha moment. A thousand rockets on Israeli civilians is a yawn for them. Not worth reporting. But one rocket and dead kits and all hell was reduced. Now, but for somebody who's Double been standards. involved in public diplomacy, 
I was amazed this time that Israel got its act together and decided to immediately share military intelligence that we that we were gathering. One was an intelligence video that traced the rocket launches of, uh, in this case, Islamic Jihad. That's how our military know where the rockets are launched from, from the satellites and the drone imaging. But the video showed the flight path of one particular rocket fired by the terrorists, short falling in a place called Jabalia. So when they started claiming, and of course the Palestinian media were there, you saw the explosion, and next thing you saw on CNN and MSNBC was ambulancing and people rushing to hospital and carrying bleeding kids and things like that. So immediately, it's that propaganda mode, Israel is killing kids. But then we came out within 24 hours and proved to them that Israel had, hadn't targeted Jabalia on the day that this happened. No targeting. That this explosion, and we showed it on screen, satellite image of a rocket shortfalling, and it was a Palestinian rocket that killed Palestinian kids. Yeah. Now, you would have thought like I did, all the pro-Palestinian activists would have been shocked by that, would have protested if they cared the Palestinians so much. They would have been protesting for Hamas or Islamic Jihad to stop rocketing if you don't know how to fire your rockets because Palestinian kids are being killed. Nothing. Zero. Total silence, which shows, as I make the case for Israel, what hypocrites these people are. And it proves the point that I make over and over again, including in my book, Fighting Hamas, BDS and Antisemitism, and the other one, BDS for Idiots, that these people, when uh, push comes to shove, as we say, don't give a damn about the Palestinians. They only do it when they can use the Palestinians as a club to hit the Jewish state with. That's it. Only if it could be to bear their benefit. Uh, so bear yeah, Barry, uh, just a week after Israel fought a three-day battle with a terror group in the Gaza Strip, Defense Minister Benny Gantz accused Iran of funding Palestinian as Islamic Jihad tens of millions of dollars a year. What do you think about that? Well, we know this has gone on all the time. They do it directly, they do it indirectly, but they are also, I have to tell you, that um, the leaders of, for instance, Hamas are not living in Gaza. The true leaders of Hamas are living in Doha, and Qatar, and Kuwait. And the, and the true leaders of Palestinian Islamic Jihad are living in Tehran. Tehran, right? So obviously... This is another arm of the Iranian regime, just like Hezbollah. They, they are finance and arm Hamas, but they also finance and arm Palestinian Islamic Jihad. So you should be asking me, how is it that Hamas, who hates Israel just as much as Islamic Jihad, were silent on this? Because they had Israel doing their dirty work for them. Hamas is actually competing against the Palestinian Authority and control the streets. I'll come to this later on. But for them, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, if they'd got stronger, would have been a major competitor for Hamas as well. And Palestinian Islamic Jihad are the Shiite side of the Palestinian coin as well. So Benny Gantz was quite right that Iran is backing them and probably favoring them even over Hamas. So the question is, where do they get that kind of money? 
they they get it from uh, they get it from various things. They get it from uh, from Iran. The the money is smuggled to them. Maybe probably over the border from Egypt. Uh, maybe in some of the ships that aren't uh, intercepted by Israel. Uh, other sorts of methods like that. But they're financed just as Hamas is financed as well. The smuggling routes for weapons and, and money uh, is a constant battle for Israel. Barry, uh, the U.S. Justice Department uh, charged a member of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps with plotting to assassinate former President Donald Trump's national security, security advisor, uh, John Bolton, in an apparent retaliation for the U.S. airstrike that killed Qassam Soleimani. Can you tell us more about that? Um, I'm surprised that Americans are surprised <laughs> because um, what people have forgotten, especially over in America, and I've been making a point about this, um, a, th there was, a, going slightly off subject, there was a, a trial that, that took place in Sweden in which a, a, an Iranian was sentenced to life imprisonment for taking part in what was called the 1988 Death Committee, in which he was instrumental in the murder, arrest and murder of over 10,000 Iranians. But the leader of that uh, 1988 uh, Death Committee was a man called Ibrahim Raisi. Ibrahim Raisi, I may remind you, is the current president of the United uh, of the Arab of the uh, of Iran. The current president of Iran, he was responsible for the murder and execution of the hanging of over 30,000 Iranians. And now the evidence is out. And I interviewed a, an Iranian human rights lawyer, international jurist on this. And a campaign is just beginning to have Ibrahim Raisi, the president of Iran, dragged to the International Criminal Court on, on human rights uh, uh, offences and also war crimes offences. Uh, if you want to stop the Iranians getting their nuclear missile, one way is, is to bomb and destroy their nuclear facilities. Another one is to bring down the regime. But on the contrary, I have to remind you, in a few weeks' time, you in the United States are going to allow this mass murderer Exit an entry visa to come into the United States to attend the United Nations General Assembly and be at the podium and tell the world what a bad and treacherous country the United States is. This man shouldn't be allowed to step foot in the United States. Never mind if you want a pretense of the fact that uh, one of his people tried to kill John Bolton, that's one thing. But I think you've forgotten about the blowing up of the uh, Beirut uh, Marine Barracks, uh, which mm -hmm. killed over 242 American servicemen and women. And Raisi was behind that as well. He was also behind the bombing of the Buenos Aires uh, Jewish Center, which killed 82 uh, uh, Argentinians, most of them Jewish as well. If you need more than one reason not to allow this mass murderer into the United States to attend the United Nations, that should be it. But it should go beyond that to have this man dragged to the International Criminal Court. So why is he allowed? Uh, because the diplomatic world are too nuanced and too polite and they're also under the bad administration. They don't want to upset Iran too much because they still dream to this day that they can offset the, the Iranians' messianic desire to, to own the uh, ultimate weapon and to uh, give an example of their power but, and, and hurling it on Israel.
should be people demonstrating. I'm surprised uh, we, we don't have that right now. Well, I think you'll start seeing uh, an upkick. This is something that Israel can't take the lead on, but there is a big movement about to begin of international jurists together with a lot of I Iranians who are outside of Iran, uh, human rights activists who are, who, are, who are going to take up this charge. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yes, well, I know there's, uh, for instance, in Britain, there's an international jurist called uh, Jeffrey Robertson uh, QC, who has uh, a long history in, in um, being an advocate for um, human rights uh, 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 charges against uh, human rights criminals, and he's involved in this. I did a video with a man called Kaveh Moussavi, who is in Oxford, England, is an international uh, Iranian uh, jurist uh, who was uh, instrumental for the trial in Sweden of, uh, of uh, Hamid Nouri, which was the second or third in command uh, in the jails where the people were executed. And there were about 75 witnesses who had come out and knowing the personal involvement of Nuori in these crimes. And when I asked uh, Mr. Mosavi, what about a trial against Ibrahim Raisi? Are you going to be short of witnesses? He said, absolutely not. My prob the problem is going to be not enough time to hear all the witnesses because this man was responsible for almost 30,000 deaths of Iranians. Um, so this is some, there, are, there are more than one way in which we have to stop the uh, Islamic regime of uh, Iran pursuing their destiny of... Uh, uh, attaining a nuclear missile and uh, showing their power to the world by unfurling it on on, uh, on Israel. Uh, the other way is to use the trap, not of diplomacy. That has failed. Biden is wrong on that. It's time not to get soft on Iran, but to get hard on Iran and, and make them uh, responsible, prove them guilty of the crimes they should have been uh, uh, committed for decades ago. Right. Barry, um, in your professional opinion, would you say that Israel's biggest problem is the U.S. appeasement of Iran? Uh, that's one of the biggest problems. The other one is, uh, let me bring it on to um, Biden's visit to Israel and Saudi Arabia. Um, and I'm going to wrap this up in, in strategic terms, if you don't mind, Bila, because I'm going to talk about the terrorism wrapped up in actually the story of three elections. What three elections, you'd be saying? Well, you in America, we in Israel are having elections in November. OK, that's two elections. But what's the third election? Uh, currently, part of the unrest you've got in, in uh, areas um, that are occupied by the Palestinian Authority is the Arabs, the Palestinians are demonstrating, rioting, protesting on the streets for the Palestinian Authority under Mahmoud Abbas to hold an election. I don't know if you know this, but their last natural uh, election was over 16 years ago. That should have been held every four years. They should have had one uh, last year, but they didn't. Why didn't they do it? Because all the polls showed Mahmoud Abbas, he would lose. He would lose to Hamas. Now, what has this got to do with Biden's visit? I'm going to highlight something, a part of the disaster, so far as Israel is concerned, of Biden's visit. His visit, he not only physically demonstrated his desire to divide Jerusalem, Israel's capital, by going uh, on a special trip 
into another part of Jerusalem in his presidential limo with the Israeli flag removed and having two American flags to visit a hospital in East Jerusalem and to be met there by Palestinian officials. He was making a statement that Jerusalem belongs to the Palestinians. He also has made a statement publicly here in Israel that his vision is a two-state solution based on 1967 lines. Now, I want to come on to your show and talk in detail of what a Palestinian state on 1967 lines looks like from an Israeli perspective, or more accurately, what Israel looks like from a Palestine based on 1967 lines. We at the Israel Institute of Strategic Studies have produced a brochure and we're trying to raise the funds to make a short film showing what Israel looks like from a Palestine on 1967 lines. And I want to tell you, Bila, if you see the photographs and the films, this what you see would be really scary. Now, where is this? Why is this so difficult to understand? Because Biden lives in a 50-year-old dream which should never come about. Why should it never come about? For the reason I just spoke about. If the Palestinian Authority want to show the world they are truly democratic, they should hold their elections this year, maybe in November or December, like you're doing in America, we're doing in Israel. We're democratic countries, right? But why doesn't Mahmoud Abbas do that? Because he knows he would lose to Hamas. Again, they control the streets, not just in Gaza, but in Nablus and in Janine and even in Birzeit University, where the students voted overwhelmingly for the Hamas student body. Where's Birzeit? Birzeit University is five miles north of Ramallah, which is where Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority sit. Hamas controls the Palestinian street. Hamas will win any Palestinian election. So if Israel was going to be so foolish to appease a Biden presidency by withdrawing to 1967 lines, we would go to bed with Mahmoud Abbas and wake up with Hamas ruling the high ground under Ben-Gurion Airport, a rocket throw, no, uh, no, an RPG throw to Tel Aviv, on the main highway six near Tulkaram, looking over our power stations and our narrow coastal belt. That would be where a Hamas-led Palestinian would be. And you want Israel to defend ourselves from those lines? Nine miles, eight miles, seven miles from the Mediterranean Sea on the lowland under, underneath a Hamas-led Palestinian state on the streets of Jerusalem? This is what Biden was advocating for. That's scary, isn't it? That's the tale of truth. That's the tale of Biden's own words. And that's the tale of three elections. This is the reason that we have a problem with the Biden presidency. Biden is very bad for Israel, no matter how you look at it, whether you look at it, the Iranian side, that you aspect you were talking about, an attempt on killing John Bolton is bad. But the attempt to destroy Israel with a nuclear missile is, I would suggest, infinitely worse. 
and a Biden administration has made that infinitely closer because as the uh, IAF uh, 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 leader had said, they are now, Iran is now galloping to the ability to have a nuclear missile. Yeah. Barry, the Likud, uh, the Likud par- uh, primaries deliver dramatic results, um, which is shaking up the party's Knesset slate. Can you tell us about that? Uh, what aspect again? I'm sorry? Sorry, what aspect again? I didn't hear the word. The, 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 the primary results, the, Lik- the Likud primary ah. results. Okay. Uh, Well, as I'm speaking to you right now, um, they've completed the voting and here the uh, results will be released later this evening. But I tried to find some information before I came on air Uh, over here. This morning I I got this, this, this information. Yeah. Oh, and you got some information about the uh, the the list of uh, of the way that the people had been chosen, right? Let me just give you a recent poll, and I would imagine that either t- tonight or tomorrow there will be another TV uh, poll. But the last one we had, which was after the conflict, one would have thought that uh, the parties of people like Benny Gantz and Yair Lapid would have uh, gained ground, uh, but they didn't. Uh, and one of the reasons they didn't is because any a party wanting to gain a, a majority have to do it with the with the coalition of other smaller parties, right? That's the way it falls over here. Over there, you're looking, you have two parties. Uh, over here, right. we have about 30-something will be running in the election and maybe 16 may be trying to get into the Knesset. Uh, all right. But, but very quickly, uh, on the left side, um, actually, Yaya Lapid party really didn't gain many seats. I think perhaps Benny Gantz, together now, he's created a party with Gidon Saar, um, and, and they gained a couple of seats. However, on the other side, uh, the Merits party, which is the far left, uh, of the polling of a few days ago, didn't make the threshold. You need... Um, 3.25%, uh, 3.75%, sorry, over here, to have your of the total vote, to have your party make it into the Knesset, which would give them minimum of four seats. They didn't make four seats. But on the other side, neither did uh, Ayelet Chaked, who has reformed the R- Yamina party, which was a party led by uh, Bennett, Naftali Bennett, the prime minister, if you like, who bled uh, a number of people from his party because he had swung too far to the left. Uh, however, Ayala Chaked hasn't made up the ground. She's created a new party um, called Zionist Spirit with uh, Yoav Hauser, another one who is, is more to the right of Ayala Chaked. We have a problem with that because Hauser had said that uh, he would go into a coalition Burnley could, but not one led by uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. So even if she makes the threshold and she's on the verge of doing it or not doing it, um, she has a problem in her own party of whether if uh, if she wanted, even wanted to prove that her party is more uh, gone back to being centre-right, she has a partner who will not sit in a uh, government led by Benjamin Netanyahu. So we're, we're still back to this thing. So uh, in short, what I'm saying to you is that uh, a coalition led by Yaya Lapid will not make the, uh, the majority of 61. They're estimated to be about 55 
in that nature, 54-55. But the, the last polling was that if uh, Benjamin Netanyahu wanted to create a coalition, his coalition would only reach maybe 58-59. So we have a long way to go. We've got about another two and a half months, almost three months to go over here uh, before we have our elections. Things might change. You may have me back on the show as we get closer to the time to make a prediction. Uh, but there has to be a bit of a shift in order for the Likud, led by uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, to be confident that he has the 61, 62 seats to enable him to form a government. My feeling right now as I speak to Bila is Israel, dare I say it, deep taken breath, maybe on its way after November to another election come February, March. Thank you. Um, you referenced one of the books that you had written, BDS for uh, Dummies. Yeah. Idiots. We use the word idiots. Okay. <laughs> can you tell BDS us? BDS for idiots. Uh, yeah. So can you actually tell us about that? Yeah, I wrote this because um, I've written a more serious book, which was, uh, I'm trying to get one here, so it was fighting Hamas, BDS and anti-Semitism. In this book, uh, what I did on this book with the, the research is finding out the connection between the people who hate Israel and anti-Semitism. It is overwhelming. The evidence is overwhelming. This is when, a serious uh, When was this book published? This was published about five years ago, something like that. I call it subtitle is Fighting Violence, Bigotry and Hatred. This is something I think you may know in America, certainly by the Jewish organizers or the, or the Jews of America who have felt it on the street or whatever. There's no Israel hatred without Jew hatred. It's like a symbiotic relationship. Um, I'm in the middle of writing another article, which I, you may have me on our show later on, talking about writing about the failure of the major Jewish organizations in not living up to facts and truth and, and taking off uh, in pursuit of what you may call woke or progressive ideals and ideas and leaving traditional values of family and faith behind. Uh, and it's an America indicate, and I'm making the case in the research article I've got that the Jewish organizations had better get their act together. Uh, I give a recent example. I understand that uh, somebody almost defeated Ilan Omar in the primaries for the Democrat Party. Um, why, is this why is this significant? It's because this unknown, uh, whose name was, uh, what his name now, Ben something or other. Uh, however, he was only two points away from defeating Elan Omar. Now, I make the point that had the Jewish organization got behind this person to promote him simply because he was standing for the Democrat Party. I'm talking about Jewish Democrats here would give their Jewish Democrat money to a Democrat candidate to help him uh, keep the biggest anti-Semite and Israel actor out of Congress, Ilan Omar. That would have been useful. This is what I call the intersectionality of common sense and decency. They didn't do it. Had they done it, I am confident this gentleman would have won. 
Um, so there was a missed opportunity there simply because the Jewish leadership, Jewish organization leadership, were not woke enough to understand what they need to do in order to suppress and destroy the anti-Semites. Um, so uh, having, cut, having established that, I came on to the other book, which was really, I was being asked by students on campuses to come up with a book which was more snappier and hippier and more for the younger people, a BDS for idiots. Uh, <laughs> and this, this, this comes out of my strategy of how to take when was that on. Pub- when was that published? This, when was BDS this was for idiots published, published about four years ago. Okay. Um, and, uh, and it's available on Amazon or, or uh, Book Depository. This has come out for the people who really want to take up the cudgels against uh, our enemies, the BDS movement and everything. And, and from personal experience, I, I, know, I found their weak spot. I mentioned it before about the people who profess to support the Palestinians have nothing to say when Hamas and Islamic Jihad are killing Palestinians in Gaza, right? And, uh, and it happens over again. These people who profess to be so profoundly pro-Palestinians don't really give a damn about them when it push comes to shove, as I mentioned it. But also, I, I have statements in here made by people like Yasser Arafat, who denied that his fight against uh, the Jews and Israel had anything to do with Palestine or Palestinian. It was in the Pan-Arab course. That was at the time. That was 67, 68 or whatever, where he was still using, uh, starting to learn Marxist uh, propaganda from the Soviet Union. Uh, but this quiz is in here, and it's a... A, a, an interesting book full of packed of information and quotations and things that they can use when they're fighting on the campus or anywhere else for Israel. Listen, Bill, I want to end with this. Basically, Israel, our fighting forces, Israel defense forces. But we find that the best form of defense is going off on offense. You don't wait until people are hitting you and attacking you and driving you back into your worst case scenario before you go on. The, we did it recently now. With the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, we went after that, after them in Nablus. We went after them in the Gaza Strip before they inflicted damage on us. This is the way you should do also uh, what we call Hasbara, public diplomacy. Don't just sit back and be attacked and respond. You've got to go on the offense. And this is why these books, like you said, thank you for mentioning them, BDS for Idiots, or Fighting Hamas, BDS and Anti-Semitism, are so important to learn because there's a lot of information over there. There's a lot of strategies and tactics that you and other people can use when you're trying to make the case for Israel. One quick question, uh, the last one. Um, I just want to circle back to uh, when you, you're writing a, your new book and um, you, you said that uh, Jewish organizations are not doing enough. Um, yeah. Are you referring to organizations in the U.S. or in Israel? or anywhere in the world. Uh, uh, Yeah, but this one is is really meant for an American audience, and I'm uh, specifying uh, organizations like even APAC, uh, ADL, for instance. ADL, uh, after Abe uh, Foxman, has has lurched, uh, I would say, too far to the radical left. Uh, They've adopted all the progressive nuances and everything uh, and they seem to be more involved in the fight against racism while ignoring the fight against anti-semitism um 
and they've left the people basically undefended. Uh, and if they respond at all, they respond too little too late. But the the article, which will be coming out, I would imagine, about the middle of uh, next week, uh, would make very interesting reading. Some people may find it provocative. I even quote, but I actually, I want to tell you, I quote a lot of Democrat Jews. Uh, in this article, I quote, for instance, Alan Dershowitz, um, uh, who was astonished where he wasn't invited and he lives in Martha's Vineyard, but there was a Jewish organization having a fundraiser, uh, not for a Jewish candidate, but for uh, other others, which may be perceived as might like matter or whatever. Uh, when, but when it comes to supporting affirmative Jewish candidates, they seem to go missing. There's also been attack on... Um, on APAC, and APAC seems to be weakening as well. APAC was supposed to be the most affirmative pro-Israel organization in America, uh, but apparently they've come under attack. Um, one of the people they've come under attack from is the, and I, I was banging on about this uh, several months ago, was the lady who is now the Biden's uh, press secretary in the White House, Karine Jean-Pierre, who, before she entered the White House, was an activist for an organization which was uh, lobbying Democrat members of Congress to boycott the APAC annual conference because it was pro-Israel. And she looked on that as a crime. Uh, and unfortunately, if you go look carefully at the last APAC conference, uh, if you could check and tell me if there were any de Democrat uh, members of Congress that attended the APAC conference, I don't know of any. Right. When you get to a state where no, zero Democrat uh, senators or congressmen would attend an APAC conference, you know the Jews in America and Israel are in deep trouble on the uh, that side of the political spectrum in America. Barry... As our Israeli correspondent, thank you for being here today. Thanks, thank Bila. Thank you to Vin News and to our audience for tuning in. I'm sorry it's not good news, but uh, we've covered a lot of subjects, and thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Sebrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.